Hello, and welcome back to A Reason for Hope. I'm your host, Mario Costabile, and I am honored that you're listening to us today. My prayer is that this podcast offers you some hope and a better understanding of the Catholic faith. Our podcast has grown so much over the past few years, and we're always trying to record topics that are relevant, but also what our listeners want to hear. If you want to send us any ideas, you can email them to podcast at arrayofhope.net. If you're on Spotify mobile, swipe up while listening and take the Spotify exclusive poll. Life is full of happiness, difficulties, surprises, and challenges. And how we overcome these difficulties and challenges will affect our trajectory. And how we handle life's surprises, trials, and tribulations really shapes the person that we become. And what do I mean by this? If we succumb to painful moments in our lives and then remain in a state of depression, or our life is void of joy, we're not truly living the life that God wants for us. It's in these very moments that we need to buckle down and ask for God's help. Not necessarily ask Him to stop the pain, but we can if we want, but also ask God to show you what is He teaching you in this time. God isn't testing us, but because of His permissive will, He does allow us to experience pain throughout our lives. There's always a greater good, a good that will strengthen and allow our faith and relationship in God to grow if we allow it. All we need to do is recognize that God is the healer and he wants to give us true peace. Our guest today struggled through some very difficult times in his life. Our guest was addicted to drugs and alcohol, and when he was brought to his knees, he surrendered himself to God. I am super excited to share with you that our guest today is Rock and Roll Hall of Famer, Dion DiMucci. That's right, Dion from Dion and the Belmont's fame. He has some story that he's gonna share with you. So sit back, Relax, and welcome to A Reason for Hope. And here we go. I want to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Real Estate for Life. If you're thinking about buying or selling a home or moving to a more family-friendly or Christian area, please consider going to realestateforlife.org. They will pair you with expert real estate professionals who share your faith, and they will also contribute a portion of their commission to a pro-life charity of your choice, all at no cost to you. So to connect with a pro-life realtor, please visit realestateforlife.org or call them at one eight seven seven life us one So Dave, how you doing? How's everything going? It's pretty good. Things are pretty good. Thanks, awesome. just rocking and rolling. Speaking of that, AOH Music's really picking up steam. Yeah, yeah. No, we're, we're super excited here at Array of Hope with um, just really uh, putting our new music out there. I think it's so powerful, and, and music has always been a way to attract people to the faith, even that are disengaged from the faith. Uh, so we're excited about that. We're excited about the releases. We're being very aggressive about putting the music out there, and uh, we hopefully will bring even more events and opportunities for the Array of Hope team to be in front of audiences. So we're, we're pumped. Now, many people may not know that your background, first and foremost, is music. Mm. And you were well-known as a great musician. It, it, it's funny. I always consider myself as having two lives. Uh, 
you know, uh, started out as a singer songwriter, trying to make it big in the, in the pop world and then gravitated to production. I found a way to earn a living and that way built a recording studio, got involved in video and was in that world for 40 years, did all kinds of secular projects and successful at that. And, um, you know, then was moved to uh, a calling that I heard to evangelize the faith through the very my gifts and talents. So essentially, I, I do the same thing, more from a managerial production standpoint than actually in in the ground, in the muck. I have great guys here uh, at Array of Hope at the team and the production team. Uh, but yeah, yeah, that, that that is my background. I think there was a young punky kid who mm. uh, recorded in your studio a few times, if I can remember him he probably looked a lot like a younger version of me yeah yeah I, not many people know that you and i you and i actually meant i, I hate to say this how long ago was it, was uh, it the, yeah don't say it it's a long time ago uh 40 years no it can't be 40 years can no, I, no? It, yeah uh, no, no not yet not quite yet close so i well, we may have known each other 40 years because yeah. we're, we grew up in the same town so to dave's point dave <laughs> walked into my studio uh Initially with a, a small project that uh, an organization was producing sort of like a greatest hits of music and you had written a song and I kind of produced that project. Then later you came into a bigger studio that I had in Paramus, New Jersey, and we were producing some of your songs. And uh, I always remember you, Dave, as like this really high energetic kid, uh, always in love with Christ. And that was the, uh, uh, you know, my first impression of you, you were so, and you still are, just in a different way, on fire about really radiating and evangelizing the faith through your music. And and that was a lot of fun uh, producing that stuff for you back then. Yeah, thank you. It's funny to look back. And yeah, yeah. Well, the music industry, like, it's a hard industry. I mean, it's hard to break it in. Is. It's hard it to be successful. But there's also a lot of temptations that come with success. And mm -hmm. our guest today knows that well, huh? Well, I am super, super excited about having uh, Dion from Dion on the Belmonts on our podcast. Uh, he, uh, many of you know, I mean, this guy's famous. He's in uh, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Uh, hits such as Teenager in Love, Run Around Sue, The Wanderer, I mean, a gazillion hits. And, and now he's even still busy creating music. Um, so we're going to talk about a lot of things with him. Uh, we're going to talk about his amazing career, uh, some of the difficult times he had in his life, and also his growth and relationship with God. So it's almost sort of like a full circle conversation, which I uh, really love about that uh, interview. Um, his struggles with addiction, I mean, they were really prevalent in his life. And he realized that if he continued on that road to nowhere, it was really going to destroy his life. And we talked about that and how he was able to overcome his addictions. And he enrolled in AA, Alcoholics Anonymous. And they developed this 12-step program to overcome addiction and healing, uh, which was really, uh, I only found out about this recently, uh, that, that that's how they did it. It was spiritually based, which is really kind of cool. So we kind of talk about this program and how it aligns with spiritual teaching. Uh, I mean, you probably know that, right? Well, a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I, um, I, it's, it's always difficult to speak about addiction when I myself have not suffered from it. So whenever you're talking about something that you haven't personally experienced, you're always stepping into very delicate terrain. So I think that first and foremost, I want to acknowledge that I don't know this from a personal perspective or having walked through the 12 steps. But if you were to read the 12 steps, the thing that I think that's very powerful in them is how they really do emphasize 
the absolute importance of God and his grace in mm-hmm. order to be able to overcome such struggles. Mm-hmm. I mean, the first, the first step is to admit you're powerless and that your life has become unmanageable. Some people can't get to that step. And we all like to think we're powerful. We all like to think that we're capable. We all, on some level, like to think that we can even lick this ourselves. And yet that's just not true. And so admitting that you're powerless, it's sort of, in a way, kind of like a real emphasis on the importance of grace. It's, we can get into a Pelagian mindset in our spiritual lives too, where we think that somehow we can save ourselves if we only work hard, that we'll be able to do all the right things and be holy and save ourselves. But the fact of the matter is that we can't. We can't, we can't procure our own salvation. It only comes as a free gift from Christ and, and we can only grow in our holiness because of his grace. Well, if you're gonna draw that analogy, you can see that like, somebody who's struggling with addiction has to get to a place where they recognize their other utter powerlessness. And they have to then have a faith, which is the second step, a belief, a faith that a power greater than them can restore them to sanity. So that's what you have to do. You have to throw yourselves into the arms of God. Mm. Uh, and and that's actually the third step to to make a decision to turn your will and your life over to the care of God as you understand Him. So they they say as you understand Him because they're trying to broaden it for people who belong to all faiths. Um, but we can certainly talk about throwing ourselves into the merciful arms of Jesus and to entrusting our life to God and trusting that He's going to care for us. And that can only come when you abandon yourself. So. All of that is the starting point. And I think those are probably things that come out in Dion's story, that he had to just turn himself over. So the fact that he went through AA and at the, I guess at a similar time or shortly after, became much more tapped into his faith. Was, did that happen through the AA? Is that, did he mention? Um, it was part of his journey. Yeah, he you know he realized that um, that he had to give give it up, surrender, you know, to God. Yeah, and I think that that's an important thing that we can all learn spiritually, even if we're not struggling with addiction, that we so often don't want to let go of control, and we need to, we need to ask God to take control. But then it's interesting because if you go on with the rest of the twelve steps. Number four is powerful. Make a searching and fearless moral inventory of yourself. Like, how many people are willing to do that? Mm. Notice, searching and fearless. I think we don't like to look deep within ourselves, to look at what we've done in our life, to look at our hidden motives because we're afraid of what we'll find. We don't want to admit that we're not as great as we think we are. Mm-hmm. And yet... What, that's just asking to make a really good examination of conscience, isn't mm-hmm. it? Yeah. How important is that in, in everyone's spiritual life? And yet there's so few people who are really willing to do that. 
And so then the fifth step is admit to God, to yourself, and to another human being the exact nature of your wrongs. So notice to God, you can imagine, hard actually to admit to yourself sometimes, but then have to tell another person directly to their face exactly what I've done. Mm-hmm. This searching and fearless moral inventory, the things I've found there, I need to tell somebody, that's, that takes a lot of humility. That takes a lot of vulnerability. And there's certainly, most of us are not willing to go there, huh? Sounds like a sacrament. It does, doesn't it? It sort of does. Yeah. So maybe there's a real inner logic to the sacrament. Brilliance. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's another podcast. That's maybe another podcast. <laughs> but be entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of your character. Now, notice the language there. Who has to do the removing? God has to remove them. Yeah. Sometimes God doesn't move as fast as you want him to in that area. <laughs> like I've noticed this in my own life, just in my normal spiritual life, that there are things that are constant struggles for me in my spiritual life that I just say, Lord, I don't want this anymore. Can you take it away? But it's the Lord's time and it's him taking it away. And I've come to learn in my own life that sometimes when God doesn't take it away, it's because he's still trying to teach me humility. Mm -hmm. So he might not move as fast as we want him to. But we need to humbly ask him to remove them. Like, I think the desire for him to remove these shortcomings is good. And so that's why that's the next step. God, God will remove them, but in God's time. And we have to keep asking humbly for them to be removed. Now, the next set, I think, are really interesting because it actually asks that you make a list of all the persons you've harmed and become willing to make amends with them all. That imagine that if you if you thought about all the people you've offended in your life, and maybe for somebody who's struggled with addiction, some of that damage is really severe. But people who don't struggle with addiction could perhaps have caused some serious damage in their relationships, right? I don't know to make a list of that and then to a- approach those people and try to make amends. But the thing that's interesting is that the next step tells you to make direct amends wherever possible, except when doing so would bring injury to them or to others. So notice, you're not trying to get rid of your own feelings of guilt here. That's easy enough to try to do, but that's ultimately selfish. You have to discern that if I say this to somebody, is it going to actually hurt them? Or if I bring this to speech or bring this out into the public, is it going to harm somebody else? Is it going to scandalize somebody else? You've got to think about all that so that you're not seeking just sort of like a a pressure release of your own guilt, but you're only making amends with somebody directly when that's actually going to provide a benefit besides just your relieving of your own guilt. Then you have like this, this request to continually make this personal inventory and admit you're wrong promptly. Well, that's, 
that's sort of very spiritually healthy too. I mean, sure. we're taught to make an examination of conscience every night, right, in our faith. And then to pray and draw closer to God. And this is an interesting part of the 11th step. To pray only for knowledge of his will and the power to carry it out. So you start to get away from praying for a lot of specific things, for God to do this for you and that for you, or for this to happen or that to happen. And what you're praying instead now is, Lord, I just want to know your will, and I want the strength and grace to be able to do it. Whatever you want, I want. There's a a wonderful prayer called the Universal Prayer, and it's one of my favorite prayers. And there's this one portion of it that I think is pretty powerful. It says, Lord, I desire what you desire. I desire it because you desire it. I desire it as you desire it. I desire it as long as you desire it. That's a powerful prayer. A scary one too, by the way. A scary one too. And then, of course, the last step is that having had this spiritual awakening that you try to carry the message to others and to practice these principles in all your affairs. So that's sort of like an evangelization step. Now it's time to share the good news with others. So if you look at the steps, you really do see a lot of things that are just the components of a healthy spiritual life. Amen. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I wanted to comment, um, you know, if you think about it, you can really apply these steps to any kind of difficulty that you're having in life. It could be a relationship. It could be a struggle, that spiritual tr- struggle, a temptation, uh, an addic- uh, addiction outside of alcoholism, right, uh, or drugs. Um, and the 11th step is, is par- I was having a conversation with someone not too long ago about this when I became aware that this is what they use, that God was very much part of AA is the 11th step, praying only for knowledge of his will uh, for us and the power to carry it out. And what I pointed out to this person uh, that was pertaining to another struggle that this person was having is that that's grace. You know, that is the essence of grace. You, You can't, you know, you're bringing God in, but you're relying on the power of God's grace. And and this person, I, I think a light bulb went off, you know, it was like, oh, that's that's God's grace. It's like so that's p- God's power. He's instilling grace for you to overcome these obstacles, these addictions, these trials because you need God. We need God to be part of our lives. Now, something that uh, people might be familiar with is the Serenity Prayer. Yep, they are certainly familiar with the first lines: "God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference." So that's something that maybe a lot of people know. What they may not know is that a, um, an American Protestant theologian, ethicist, and commentator on politics and public affairs, a guy by the name of Reinhold Niebuhr, was the person who wrote this prayer, and that there's a lot more to it than just that first line. So I want to read the whole prayer because I think that it's a powerful prayer. And again, it's something that can be applied to much more than just addiction to alcohol or what have you. It's much more broadly applicable. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, 
and wisdom to know the difference, living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, taking, as Jesus did, this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will, so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. Amen. It's a beautiful prayer. I love it. One day at a time. That, of course, is a mantra for those involved in Alcoholics Anonymous. But enjoying one moment at a time. How much time do we spend worrying about the past or deep in shame and regret about the past? How much time do we spend worrying about the future, what will happen, what won't happen, will everything be okay? I think for somebody in addiction, the fear is always that if I'm starting on the road to sobriety, that I could fall tomorrow. And what we're being taught here is don't think about tomorrow. Think about right now. Relying on God's grace right now. Enjoying this moment. And for the addict, being sober this moment. And I think that that's powerful. It's a powerful spiritual lesson. So much time is spent by us outside the present moment. And yet, There's this phrase, the sacrament of the present moment, that comes from a really wonderful book called Abandonment to Divine Providence. The sacrament of the present moment is really a place where we should be living much more. I once saw a poster, and it it was to try to get people to live in the present moment, and it said, when God revealed his name, God didn't say, I was. He didn't say, I will be. He said, I am. So there's a sense that obviously God was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be. But the idea that when God reveals his name, he says, I am present now in the moment. And so the more we can live in the moment, the more we're also living in the presence of God. Because this is the only moment that's real. This is the only moment that is really when you think about it. So that was, I think, an important insight in the prayer. I also like the line, taking the sinful world as Jesus did. How much of my time is spent wishing the world were different or wishing my circumstances were different or wishing I were different, right? And yet, what's the use of that? That's like a waste of time. I'm like, that's that's not real. The world is as the world is. And Jesus took it as it was. So then the real issue is like, well, what am I going to do now? It's not so much about, gee, if the world were only different or if my life were only different. And that's even punctuated by this line that I may be reasonably happy in this life. So so many times I think we get this wrong idea that if we believe in Jesus, we're going to be fully happy. No, the prayer is that I can be reasonably happy in this life. There's going to be suffering. There's going to be pain. There's going to be difficulty. There may be addiction, but can I be reasonably happy in this life 
but supremely happy in heaven with the Lord. So I think those are powerful parts of this prayer. Awesome. Thanks, Dave. Thanks for the reflection. All right. Peace. Peace. Hey, want to help make this podcast better? Go to our survey URL in the show notes and leave your mark on A Reason for Hope. We are all called to be good stewards, whether that means making wise financial decisions for our families, for our parishes, or for organizations that we may advise or direct. Owning gold and silver is easy, and we're happy to be partnered with St. Joseph's, who has exclusively focused on helping families protect their wealth in gold and silver for over a decade. Their pricing is very competitive, and their dedicated retirement team was recognized last year as only one of two dealers in the nation who meet the stringent criteria of integrity, value, and dependability by an independent trust company. Take the steps today to protect your family from potential financial stress and allocate some of your hard-earned dollars to gold and silver as good stewards. Go to www.stjosephpartners.com forward slash array of hope to learn how you can protect your loved ones at this important moment in history. Again, that is www.stjosephpartners.com forward slash array of hope. Hey everybody, this is Who's That Saint with me, Alanis, where I test your saint knowledge by giving you three clues from a saint's life for you to guess before the big reveal. Who's that saint? Clue number one, this saint lived during the time of the French Revolution, which brought upon unique challenges to his Catholic faith, namely receiving little education, making his first communion and confession in secret, and a halt to his priestly studies due to a draft into Napoleon's armies in 1809. Who's that saint? Clue number two, this saint was ordained in 1815 and had extraordinary gifts of reading souls and telling penitents their own sins when they came to him in the confessional. He was said to have worked 18 hours a day administering the sacrament of reconciliation. Who's that saint? Clue number three, this saint is known as the patron of parish priests and so chances are pretty high that you'll see his statues or paintings in any and all seminaries. Okay, last chance. Who's that saint? If you guess St. John Vianney, you are correct. St. John Vianney is familiarly known as the cure of ours, which translates to the pasture of ours because of the radical spiritual transformation of the community and its surroundings. As I mentioned earlier, he's considered the heavenly patron of all parish priests. He was born to poor parents in Dardilly, France in 1786 and began his studies for the priesthood at the age of 19. But due to his little education, he had many failures and difficulties, but was finally ordained in 1815. He worked for the rest of his life, gaining a worldwide reputation as a confessor who softened the hearts of sinners by his preaching. He passed away in 1859 and was canonized just a few decades later in 1929. His feast is celebrated on August 4th. St. John Vianney, pray for us. Hey there, this is Jack from AOH Music. We just released our debut EP live at Oceanway Nashville, and you can listen to it on any music streaming service. There are also music videos of these songs on our YouTube channel. You can find these links at the bottom of the show notes. And join us on social media 
We're constantly posting content that we really pray brings you joy, encouragement, and inspiration. Stay tuned for more music releases coming soon. Check out this clip from our live recording of our song, Light of the World. Dion DiMucci was born on July 18, 1939, in the Bronx, in New York City. He is known as Dion, an American singer-songwriter. His music incorporates elements of doo-wop, pop, rock, R&B, folk, and blues. He is an actor and a composer and well-known for the group Dion and the Belmonts. They were a top American vocal trio prominent throughout the 1950s and 60s. They had such hits as A Teenager in Love, I Wonder Why, Run Around Sue, The Wanderer, In the Still of the Night, it goes on and on. He is a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductee and a Grammy-nominated singer-songwriter. He's also been married to Susan Butterfield since March 23rd of 1963. They have three children, and he currently lives in Florida. Let's welcome Dion DiMucci. Dion, it's so great to meet you uh, in person, or at least virtually, uh, you know, in person. How are you? Well, uh, I got a little something coming off a blues cruise, which I had a, a great time on. You know, there's a lot of great musicians on these blues cruises that uh, fly under the radar. So it's filled with great musicianship and uh, people from all over the world. And so I I'm good. I'm good. good. I'm, I'm fighting a little cold. I hope I don't get a coughing fit, but we can do this, Mario. Dan, I'm sorry you're feeling a little bit under weather, so I really appreciate you coming on and, uh, you know, uh, you, you're doing all that blues music, so you have an authentic gravel to your voice, I'm sure, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, during uh, 2020 and 21, I wrote maybe 30 of the greatest songs I've ever written. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I was under the spout where the glory comes out. You know, these things just download into your head. And I, I, I met, and no one was doing anything. Everybody, you know, the country was shut down. Yeah. Or the world in a way. So I, I called up a lot of friends and I, I did these albums with Eric Clapton, uh, Van Morrison, Jeff Beck, Mark Knopfler, Bruce Springsteen, Paul Simon. They were all, nobody was doing anything. So they all joined me on these albums and it was just so much fun. Well, that, that, that's awesome. I'm, I'm thrilled that you're doing so well. Um, I know you've probably been through this a gazillion times, but I want to go back a little bit and just give our listeners that m potentially may not know who you are and may not know your music, uh, I want to give them some perspective. I'm sure they heard your music, but probably don't know who you are and your right. journey to how you've gotten here today. So, uh, you know, obviously you're Dion from Dion and the Belmonts. Tell me a little bit about 
you growing up as a kid in the Bronx, and obviously you you started, you were the founder of it, right? It was named after you, so I'm assuming you were the founder. Uh, you were a doo-wop group, and, and what was that like in the 50s? And then, of course, getting, you know, getting a record deal must have been a really exciting moment. Bring us back a little bit in that period where you were kind of like singing in the Bronx on the street corners and, and, and having this dream of becoming a successful, you know, musician. Well, I was 17 years old. Uh, I I had as a very as a youngster. Uh, let me let me put it like uh, let me go back to when I was about 11. I heard Hank Williams on the radio. There was a guy out of New Jersey, out of Newark, New Jersey. His name was Bob Larkin, and he had a country show. And I happened to catch it one day, and I heard Hank Williams do Honky Tonk Blues. Mm. Jimmy Reed sing, uh, baby, what you want me to do? And I'll take some insurance, baby. And uh, it, it was unbelievable. It just, uh, what could I tell you? I caught the bug and uh, I, I bought a guitar or my parents got me a guitar, which I pleaded for. And uh, I was on the road to collecting. Uh, there was a, up on Fordham Road in the Bronx. There sure. was a there was a record uh, store called Cousins. Lou Cicchetti owned it. And I became friends with him. And every time a Hank Williams record came in, he'd call me and I'd run up to Fordham Road and, and get it. It was a 78. And I, I knew about 40 Hank Williams songs by the time I, uh, by the time I was 15, you know. So, uh, you know, in that period of time, there were the... Uh, record companies thought, you know, rock and roll was in its infancy. Chuck Berry had hit the airwaves and uh, Buddy Holly and Bo Diddley and Little Richard. And, and you know, I, I was just into it. And a friend of mine brought me down to a record company in Manhattan with my guitar when I was about 17 and they, they, I started singing some songs for these guys, and they went crazy. They, they signed me right there that day. No kidding. They had my parents come down and, you know, witness because I was underage, and, you know, to uh, sign off on it. And uh, off we went, and I, I, I started. And then they started talking about using a vocal group. And, I, you know, they had people. They put me with a, a group that just, they, I, I don't know, who they were they were older guys and uh, you know I, I said i can't sing with these guys if you want me to sing with some uh, uh you know street singers man i'll go back to my neighborhood i'll recruit some of the uh some great voices on the streets that you know my friends sure so i went back to the bronx and just just like in the off neighborhoods like on to the right of me and the left of me and the south of me uh, they had some great singers. So I, I recruited Angelo DeLeo and Tenor, Freddie Milano and uh, Carlo Mastrangelo from Mapes Avenue. And I, I took them down to Laurie Records and we, we put the song together called I Wonder Why. Mm. And we put it together on a train, you know. Wow. Going downtown. We, 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 did, we, we weren't great lyricists, uh, and uh, we didn't know much. You know, there weren't too many, uh, you know, uh, people that we could latch on to, you know, to, to 
emulate that, but they had some doo-wop groups out like the Cadillacs. And, right. Who I loved and everything. So we started, we kind of developed this uh, rhythmic percussive sound because we didn't know how to write words. So, you know, we started with sound. So I wonder why it kind of started with the dun 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 we we had some fun and we started making records and the Belmonts and I put out three big records. Uh, I wonder why it was real big in, in New York and Teenager in Love was huge in the country and right, right. a record called Where or When, which I very rarely do. Uh, and Bob Dylan does a whole story on it in his new book, but uh it, it was huge, uh, this song called Where or When. We, we, we picked it up from a, a theatrical uh, presentation down on Broadway. It, it was a Roger, Rogers and Hart song. So, you know, that was the beginning of Dion and the Belmonts. And, of course, one of your big tunes is Run Around Sue. Uh, it was well, a- well, Run Around Sue, how, how that came about was, you know, the Belmonts, uh, Dion and the Belmonts were, were doing good. We had Where Went Out, and it was a very kind of beautiful ballad thing. And, and that's all they wanted to do after that, the three guys that I recruited. And I said, guys, I can't do this. And they insisted on it. And I said, well, let's split. So we split up, and I, I took off, and then I ended up doing, you know, because I wanted to do a little more rock and roll. So I right. did Run Around Sue, Wanderer, Ruby Baby, Drip Drop. I started doing stuff with an, uh, you know, by myself as a solo artist. Mm -hmm. So anyway, yeah, that's, that's cool. So I mean, it's a great little story, you know. Yeah, you, you went to your neighborhood, uh, found a bunch of guys that could sing. Uh, the other criteria, of course, was they had to be Italian, right? I mean, Angelo and DNA, forget about. I'll, I'll be honest with you. They had to be great singers. But <laughs> I don't know. I'm only kidding. <laughs> they had to be Italian. Okay. So, but let me tell you, Mario, there's a play that's on a Broadway track right now. We, uh, we uh, premiered it at the, at the Paper Mill Playhouse last year. It was called The Wanderer. Mm. And it has a whole story in it. So, uh People are going to be able to enjoy the music and uh, and the story, you know. That's great. So I want to I want to move a little bit forward now uh, in, into your life and uh, you know essentially culminate because you are a very a very faith filled man. Uh, and uh, I, I wanted to sort of talk about a little bit of that transition. So I, I know I mean how how could it not be? You're a, you're a, a celebrity. You're traveling all around the world. Uh, you know, you have substances to your fingertips, so you get involved in drugs and alcohol. And, and tell me about that journey and how that happened in your life. And eventually you became addicted. Maybe you could share a little bit of that. Well, you know, when, you, when your feet are firmly planted on a cloud, uh, <laughs> right. uh, it's a little hard to uh, deal with your emotions. Uh, practically impossible. I, I, I did not know how to... Uh, put things in place, and I, I, I just, 
like I said, it was, you know, I started with a little bit of, because it was, it was happening around me. I started with a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And before you know it, um, you know, you feel good. And the next day you're looking for it because it makes you feel good. And you don't have to second guess what you're saying. You know, you don't have to, uh, you know, wonder about it. You just feel like you know everything and all the pimples fall off your face. And, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're feeling good. You feel like, yo, the kid is here. What do you want to know, you know? Mm. So, you know, I, I got involved in that and it was, uh, you know, you think you found heaven and you found hell. And uh, that wasn't a good thing. Uh, I, you know, I got married in 1963. In fact, Susan and I celebrated our 60th wedding anniversary, March 25th. We got married on the Annunciation. And, uh, uh, you know, I, from 63 to 68, I was using pills and drugs and needles and smoking, and I was I was crazy. I was I would call it insanity, you know. Uh, and uh, it got worse. It didn't get better. It was very progressive. And then in 1968, February of 1968, my friend Frankie Lyman died of an OD and I was, I was hanging out with him and he died of a, an overdose. And it, I tell you, Mario, it shook me to the core. And I, I, I just, I got on my knees. I said a prayer and, uh, a guy came into my life and, and took me to a, a 12 step spiritual design step program that, uh, a recovery program that I've been involved with for 55 years. And uh, I, I never looked back. I, I, I got on my knees one night and I asked God for help. And I haven't had a drug or a drink in 55 years since uh, April 1st, 1968. So it's another anniversary I've had just a couple of days ago. So um, yeah, so thank, thank God. And that's why I'm here. Otherwise, Mario, you know, I wouldn't have been here. Yeah. And I got to tell you this, three months after I got clean and sober, I recorded a song called Abraham, Martin and John, and it went to the top of the charts and it was number one for like six months. And I, I received like 4,000 letters. We didn't have email at the time. And, uh, you know, it, it was just, uh, I never looked back. So uh, I, I know that AA, the 12-step step program that you're alluding to or talking about and sharing with us, is that it is focused on uh, relying on God's strength, right? God's grace to uh, overcome addiction, overcome personal desire. So maybe you can share a little bit, because I'm assuming that was your, uh, your point uh, or your, your, your moment in your life that God became something of... Of reality to you maybe you could kind of share that moment when things well, I, i'll be honest with you like in 1968 when i got on my knees and said a prayer i became aware of god's power before i became aware of his reality mm. he took the obsession 
even the desire to drug and drink right out of me. And uh, I must tell you, being you mentioned, well, I mentioned the 12-step program, it, it was gleaned from the disciplines of St. Ignatius of Loyola. And uh, they took that and they, uh, they designed it to, uh, uh, you know, just to follow. And it's a program designed to lead you into union with God. And as you know, God created us in such a way only to work well when we're in union with him. And uh, as my friend said, when I came into this program, he said, you know, Dion, the most courageous thing you can do is open your heart to your creator. And that's what I did. And uh, it's been glorious ever since. I, I, Mario, I'll be honest with you. I really feel I found a privileged way to live. That's beautiful. Uh, and they introduce you to that. I think it's called the serenity prayer, right? God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change and the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. That Was that your first time that you were introduced to that kind of a prayer? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, what I saw in that prayer, I'll be honest with you, I looked at it, I... I I, I was wondering exactly what it meant because, you know, on the streets of the Bronx, we don't talk about serenity. Who comes up to you and says, hey, are you serene? You know, or acceptance or, or right. take inventory. We don't do that, you know. But I looked at the prayer and it was all about surrender. It was about surrendering your will and your life over to the care of God. And I had, a, you know, my friend, in the program who became a an outside reference to my life we call him a sponsor or a mentor or a you know just a spiritual guide you know someone to keep you on track right yeah yeah and he he told me it was about surrender and I, I i heard the word surrender i said man i'm from the bronx you don't surrender i don't care somebody's banging your head on the concrete <laughs> <laughs> yeah you, not surrender, but Dion, I'm not talking about running away from anything. I'm talking about running to someone, someone who loves you unconditionally, an unfailing love, an undying love, you know? Uh, so, you know, I learned stuff that I, I never knew. Hey, if you're enjoying this interview, be sure to check out the full video version on the Array of Hope channel. Subscribe for free at watch.arrayofhope.net. Then download the app by searching Array of Hope on your mobile device, Apple TV, or Roku. Yeah, it's beautiful. Well, I mean, it was the introdu- you know, it was a, an introduction uh, to your journey to just understanding God and having a relationship with God. And I know that we, we've had a conversation prior to this, and and you shared a little bit that you were a Protestant, or you. Uh, you were expressing your faith uh, uh, within the confines of a, a, a Protestant religion. Maybe you could share that experience and, and how that came about. Well, what happened with me is I, I, I was in this program, and I, I kind of, there, there was a line in the book that said, when we draw near to him, he will reveal himself to us. And I thought, I'd like that. I, and I, 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 said, 
Mm-hmm. Prayer one day, I said, God, it would be nice to be closer to you. And when I said that, I had this very profound, brilliant, uh, sudden spiritual awakening that changed my life. I, I, I was uh, uh, so, so very much that I, I ran down to a Bible bookstore and bought a Bible. I wanted to know everything that Christ said. So I, get, I buy this Bible. And this little old woman uh, gave it to me. She said, you know, she, she, she sold me a New Testament. She said, uh, it's in four parts. She said, the first part are the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The second part is the book of Acts, the actions of the apostles, and how they, you know, started the church. Then you have all the letters, she says. You have the Ephesians and the Corinthians and the Thessalonians and, the, you know, the Galatians and the Floridians and the Texans. She started goofing. <laughs> and, she said, and then the, the fourth part is Revelation. She said, and that's the New Testament. She said, so I'm going to keep it simple with you. You just take this book. And I, I took it and I read through the whole thing. And uh, it was beautiful. And I, I went to church with a neighbor of mine. Uh I didn't grow up religious, although I grew up in a very Catholic uh, neighborhood, you know, the, the very predominantly Catholic. You know, Montcalm Catholic Church was the hub of that little cathedral was the hub of the Bronx in, in my world. So, but I didn't know much about the Catholic Church. I didn't know anything about Mass, really, what it meant. I had no idea. So uh, I went off to a, uh, a Protestant denomination, and the pastor got up and started teaching. I loved it. I loved listening to the teachings. And I, you know, followed, followed along with my Bible, and, and it was like a cheat sheet to life. I can't tell you. It really, it, it blew my mind. You know, it, it was really something because, Mario, I did not grow up with any kind of blueprint to know how to live or do relationships or view the world. So I, I started reading this, and I, I grabbed onto it. And so, you know, people say they're spiritual, but that wasn't enough for me. I needed something to inform my spirituality, and that's what started informing my spirituality. It gave me a real clear map of how to get to Chicago if I wanted to get to Chicago. In this case, how to get to heaven or how to become holy or how to, uh, how to live and how to think. And uh, it changed my life. It just changed my life. That's awesome. So, Dion, that's, uh, that's an amazing story. So I guess the question uh, is, uh, at some point in time, you had a reversion to the Catholic Church. Uh, so I, I wanted to, what was that moment like? Uh, what was the epiphany that you needed to come back home? What was, you know, tell us that story. Well, I was, I was bouncing around Protestant denominations for about 18 years. From, I would say from 1979 to, I, maybe 1979 to somewhere in the mid-90s, you know, something like that. 
I think 1996, something like that. And uh, I started to notice scriptures that I never heard from the pulpit. You know, like um, what is the pillar and foundation of truth? And I started asking pastors, what's the pillar and foundation of truth? And they always the word of God, the Holy Spirit, Jesus, and which is right on. But the Apostle Paul says, it's the church. And I said, what church? Because if you throw somebody out of the Methodist church, they go across the street to the Baptist church. And I started noticing that I was in a Presbyterian church. And on the envelopes, it said, unity in the essentials, liberty in the non-essentials, and love and charity in all things. So I thought, oh, that's beautiful. Like, there's a lot of denominations, but it's unity in the essentials. So I'm writing home, and I'm thinking, the essentials are the virgin birth, uh, Jesus Christ, fully human, fully God, uh, the crucifixion, the ascension, uh, the resurrection, you know, the, you know, I'm thinking these are the essentials. Right. So I go home and I, I open a book and I notice that St. Augustine, who was at this illustrious council of Hippo at the end of the fourth century, when they put the Bible together, they actually took all the books. The bishops from all over the, the world had this council, and they put the canon together, the table of contents, and they said what book stays, what book leaves, what books you know included. St. Augustine said the essentials are authority, and the Eucharist, and it wasn't even on my list. <laughs> so I said, something is crazy here. So I started asking questions and uh, started reading. I started reading the early fathers, you know, like. Uh, well, I was they, waiting. I was waiting for you to say that because that 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 spews Eucharist everywhere, you know. Yeah, yeah. Like I started reading the letters of Ignatius, which Protestants. Right, uh, surely aware of, but uh, you know when when I read them, I I was seeing I wasn't seeing the Baptist Church. I didn't see the Methodist Church. I didn't see uh, these churches in in you know the strip malls. I saw the Catholic Church. I saw I saw authority, and I saw the Eucharist. I saw the Lord, you know the sure the Lord's Supper. I sure. I saw where they said, make sure when you take this meal that it's not from anybody. Make sure you know what you're taking. It's the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord. And so I, I kind of read, I read on and I read myself right into the church. And I think if you read about history, you'll cease uh, to be Protestant, you know. Uh, there's no way because, uh, you know, Protestants, well, what I'm saying is I put on uh, the Bible alone, faith alone, and uh, the, the church itself doesn't stand on a one-legged stool. It stands on sacred scripture, sacred 
tradition and uh, the magisterium in union with the Pope. Uh, so it, it has a, it has a solid foundation. You know, you cannot change it. You cannot add to it. It's the Pope is somebody who just, he's a custodian and he, he kind of just serves, serves up the truth from decade to decade, you know? That's, that's awesome, Dion. It's really, uh, it's exciting to hear you to share it like that. It, it's, uh, uh, it's beautiful. Um, I, this is sort of a off the prompt question. So like, you know, in 2020, when you're like with Eric Clapton or Bruce Springsteen and you're recording stuff, do you guys like when you're having a cup of coffee, hang on, ever talk faith or any uh, religion? I mean, what a, well, uh, you, you know, your viewers could look at two of the songs I did with, uh, Bruce, uh, and, and his wife, Patty, uh, one was called him to him. And the other one's called Angel in the Alleyways. And they're two beautiful, uh, very uh, filled, filled with uh, God's love and, and faith and a uh, higher reality. And uh, just check it out. With Eric Clapton, uh, you know, we've definitely been sober for years, both of us and our believers, you know. And uh, I don't know exactly, uh, we didn't talk religion, but uh, we talked recovery in God. And, uh, you know, his heart is open. And the word open, I love the word open. You know what I mean? It's, it's big to me because uh, so many people never come to that hope. They, they, they live they're not open. I'm, I'm truly open-minded today. You know, uh, I didn't even know what it was un until I received Christ. You know, uh, I thought I was, I thought I was, I thought I was an open-minded guy. I was a very, very intolerant guy. I, uh, you know, it's incredible how you, how, how you really get set free. I mean, I talked about freedom you know, I learned a lot of things coming to Christ. For one, you learn that love is not a feeling. It's an action. It's, a, it's an act of your will. You choose to love somebody, and that feels good. It's, it's, not, it's not a feeling just in itself. So, uh, and then the, the idea of uh, freedom. I thought it was doing anything you wanted, especially if you didn't get caught. You know, freedom is the ability to do God's best, you know, to be, to do the good. And I was, Mario, I was never free to do that. I was always addicted to something. I was always addicted to alcohol, drugs, uh, lust, uh, name it. I was, I, you know, it's like St. Thomas Aquinas said, uh, if you don't have God in your life, you try to fill it with the four substitutes, the four great substitutes, wealth, pleasure, power, and honor. And you try to fill your life with money, sex, drugs, rock and roll, power, you know, like politicians, you could see that all over the place today. Honor, got to be right. You got to win. You got to be better. You know, all this jockeying for position and, and, 
But when you have God in your life, he shaped. Now, those things are good. Wealth, pleasure, power, and honor. They're not bad things. We're not Puritans. But when you have God in your life, he shapes your desire for those things. When, when I was trying to do it, I, was, I made a mess of it. A mess. And uh, it would have killed me. I didn't know better. Or when I, you know, you, you just never have that peace or serenity or um, you never feel your home. And today I feel free and I feel that I'm home. So listen, Dion, it was so great, uh, you know, uh, meeting you. And, uh, you know, uh, I'm going to share some of our music with you, too. We're, we we produce a lot of cr contemporary Christian music. I'd love to see what you think, and I'll send it to you. Our team here is really talented and very inspired, and we're trying to make some inroads in that space. So, uh, you know, I'd love to have your input and see what you think on that stuff. Crazy. Good. Yeah, I'd love to hear it. That's awesome. And is there anything that we could, you know, we could share that you're working on? I, I, I think you, well, well... The only thing that I just want to get out there, truly get out there, because I don't have the uh, my new album ready, but uh, the uh, Blues with Friends and uh, the second one was called Stomping Ground. They were both were number one on the blues charts. And wow. Recently, but uh, I... I really like to make mention of the play, The Wanderer, which which isn't up and running right now, but it's on the Broadway track. It's uh, the we're in the process of uh, getting a theater, and uh, it's a whole different business, Mario. Yeah, but just uh, just wanted to make people aware of it. It's and Mario, I'm I got to be honest. It's all about transformation. It's you know I uh, when I got with the writer uh, Charles Messina. I said, Charles, I don't want it to be this kid comes from the Bronx and he goes through all these obstacles and bing, he's at, he gets inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Da-da! You know, like <laughs> most of these plays are like that. I said, you know, I wanted to, I said, there's a real difference between success and fulfillment. They're not the same. So I wanted to go above success. I wanted to go into a higher reality, and that's what we did. So it's all about transformation, and uh, and and just this higher reality and this beauty of relationships and community. And uh, I think uh, your listeners are, are going to love it when they see it. And uh, thank you, Mario, for thinking of me and calling me and helping. You know, and. Uh, asking me to be a part of uh, a ray of hope and a uh, reason for hope because, you know, I belong to a 12-step spiritual program and a lot of people, we always say we share our experience, strength, and hope. Mario, I kid you not, a lot of people get the experience, they get the strength, but they never get the hope. I love the name of your show, and thank you so much for making me be a part of it, for helping Oh, me. my pleasure. Thanks for being here. And if you're ever in the New York area, come on. You got to stop by, okay? You got to meet no, with no. us. You got it. All right. Peace, my brother. God bless. I am so glad that you joined us for this episode. I want to remind you to please share this podcast with others. Let everybody know. 
We need as many people as possible to know God better. Please comment in the comment sections and give us an endorsement. It really helps us out. We also ask you to prayerfully go to our donation page and help us in our work. Our partnership with you will allow us to continue to create these podcasts. So go to our website at arrayofhope.org. Also, join us on social media where we keep you engaged and stay in touch with you through our music, our videos, and daily reflections. There's lots of fun and great stuff to share with you all. We pray the Divine Mercy Chaplet daily on Instagram at 3 p.m. So join us as we pray together as a universal church. Our next guest will be Father David Pavanka, the president of Franciscan University. It's going to be a lot of fun and very interesting. Also, please engage with our sponsors. They have been vetted here by us at Array of Hope, and you can directly help and share in the efforts of the Universal Church by spreading the gospel. So thanks for joining us today, and there's always a reason for hope. This is Mario Costabile. Until next time, peace. Peace.